About a couple of months ago, I would say, I was asked a question by a fellow that I've known since I was in my teens. Um, I first met him at work, the plant that I worked at, he worked at the same plant. So that's a long time to know a fellow, and he's 84 now. And my wife was diagnosed with brain tumors in November of 2019. And when he found out, I think it was probably January, he started to call me. And he called me faithfully every single week, right up to the present time. Imagine. I looked forward to that phone call. It helped me through tough times just to have somebody that knew me and we could go back in time. But absolutely out of the blue, a couple of months ago, I don't know what we're talking about. I mean, we could talk shop because we both worked in the same plant and stuff. And out of the blue, he said to me, Dave, he says, are we living in some grand experiment? What's this life all about? Uh, it, was, it shocked me a little bit. But on the other hand, I had an answer for him. And I think it's a genuine question. What's life all about? Each of us have gone through difficult times in life without exception. If you haven't, you haven't lived long enough. We've all gone through tough things. So is this just some grand experiment that God's going through and putting us through and laughing all the while? Or is there some reason? Psalm 90 says, Before the mountains were brought forth and you formed the earth and the world, even from eternity to eternity, you are God. I'm not certain how often this would be actually discussed or spoken about. That before time that we're living in was an eternity. And that God lived in that eternity. And time is going to come to an end and there will be another eternity. And we're living in between these two eternities. Before the creation of man, there were heavenly beings. This is what we're dealing with at the present time, are the evil ones that are heavenly beings, but they're also good ones. And these ones are referred to as the sons of God in some instances, angels. And the word angels is just a title. It's, a, it's just um, a job description, if you will. The word angel means messenger. And he, they are messengers sent out from God. But there's also cherubim and seraphim. There's various hierarchies in the heavenly realms. 
But here's the question. What about what happened at the creation of the world? Obviously, the heavens and the earth were created by God. Genesis 1, 1 tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How long was that before the creation of man? Because the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the deep. This world that we're living in was void and empty and covered in water. And the Holy Spirit hovered over that because God had a plan for this planet. What was that plan? And what do we know about that plan? Is it possible to even know what God's plan was? Or is this just some random decision that God made and threw it all together in hopes for the best? We get a couple of things in Job. There's very, very little said about what transpired before the creation of man. But in Job, we get a couple. Job 1 here, it says, There was a day when the sons of God came. These are these heavenly beings. They came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you, where, From where did you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth. Job 38 is one that when I read it, I always chuckle. Because you see, our lifespan here is 70 years, but for some reason or other, we think we've got it all figured out and we've got all the answers. And we know what happened before the creation of the world and we know what's going to be. And uh, God just has a discussion with Job. Job's gone through a tough time in his life. He's lost everything. He's lost his children. He's lost his livelihood. He's lost his health. And Job comes before God and he says, I got some questions to ask you. God says, okay, Job, but just hang on a minute. Before you start asking me some questions, I got a couple of questions that I'd like to ask you. And I always chuckle when I think of it. And God says, um, Job, he says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? I don't remember seeing you there. You got it all figured out, Job? Where were you? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. God's got a sense of humor, I think. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. They were present before the creation of man. Say, so what? There's a big so what. There's a big answer to this. Keep in mind now that these heavenly beings were there. We have no idea when God created them. They were there. They've never died. And they're still in existence to this very day. 
They've seen the works of God. And when they saw God lay the foundation of the earth, some of those angels got really excited. What's God up to? God is a creative God. And now he's about to do something and they had no idea what it was and they're on their tiptoes looking to see what is it that God's going to do and why is he doing it. But here's the thing. What we're all dealing with now in the here and now in the period of time is sin. God knew that before the creation of the world and the creation of man. He knew before the foundation of the world that man would sin. Say, why didn't he do something about it? Why is he putting us through this? Is this some grand experiment he's doing? God in his foreknowledge knew ahead of time what was going to transpire. But he had a plan. And God's plan did not allow for plan B. He had a plan already devised before this world was created. And Peter tells us, you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Listen to this. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sakes. Imagine God planning that something was going to have to happen and it had to do with the blood of Jesus Christ. And he chose him long before the world was founded. Has he got a purpose? And we all know the story that sin entered the world by one man. It's as if Adam opened up the door and let sin in. It wasn't here. Adam opened up the door and in walked sin. And God was looking down through time and he can see our day from a past eternity. He knows each of us by name. Like, wow, what a God that must be. He knows me by name. And he had planned that I would be here right now before eternity, before in a past eternity. You're not here by chance. You're not here in this tent by chance. God had a plan and you were part of the plan. And then one day, his plan started to come into focus. And an angel came and spoke to a virgin and said, you're going to have a son. And when he comes, you're to call his name Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. God knowing beforehand that man would sin and a plan beforehand 
but was brought into fruition now in the appointed time Jesus came. And he came to save sinners. 4,000 years had transpired from the beginning of Adam and Eve until Jesus Christ came. Why did God wait so long? Why did God do that? And today, I think many of us are saying, why, God, are you allowing this evil to continue in the world and it's getting exponentially worse as the weeks pass? God, where are you? Are you in charge or not in charge? These are thoughts that go through our minds sometimes, you know. Are you really in charge? But you see, Adam and Eve at the beginning were given a choice whether to obey or not to obey God's demands. Their choice to disobey eventually resulted in their physical death as God had told them. What they were not aware of was that they were choosing death. God had warned them if they'd eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that death would be the result. They chose death. We use the same divinely given freedom of choice every day through the choices we make. And this has become an issue in some parts of Christendom as to whether we have the ability to make a choice. What's so difficult to understand? We all make choices every day. God's given us the freedom to make choices every day. And we don't always make the right choices every day. I've got some daughters here that can tell you. I didn't always make the right choice. I thought I was doing the right thing at the time. You try, do your best, but hey, you make some wrong choices. But here's the crux of it. Like them, we must choose ourselves now between life and death. When we hear the good news of what Jesus has done to save us from our sins, we've only got two choices. Either we believe and receive the message, or we refuse it. There is no gray area. We either choose Christ, or we refuse Christ. That is the position that God has put every one of us in. He supplied the sacrifice for our sins, He sent out apostles. He sent out other people down through the centuries until our day with the message that Jesus Christ came to save sinners of which I am one. You're one. We were all conceived in sin. We can't get away from it. We were born that way. We have a choice to make and the choice is up to us and us alone. Everyone is faced with this choice. God in his foreknowledge knew what was going to happen. But God had a plan. Might I say he predestinated a plan. Before the creation of the world. He had a plan. Looking down through the ages, he had a plan. 
And now steps on the scene, Jesus Christ. And he comes as that sacrifice for sin. And what God saw his blood from an eternity past was shed in a moment of time in order that our sins might be forgiven. What love. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. If you believe in Jesus Christ that he's come to save you of your sins and you just simply say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I've sinned. Would you please forgive me? Let me tell you, God is obligated to forgive you. You say, what? God is obligated? Absolutely obligated to forgive you. There was some kind of a contract that was written up in ages past where the Father and the Son discussed the solution to this problem that was going to face the, the world. And they wrote a contract together and agreed that if Jesus came to this world as a man and he died and shed his blood for sins, that God then would be righteous and forgiving the sinner. What a plan. And if you believe, he says you're going to receive eternal life. That's a life that's different than your natural life. It's a life that's from God. It's eternal. It connects you to God. As we're speaking this morning about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit then is the connection that we have between earth and heaven. And he gives us the Holy Spirit when we believe and we can have that relationship and come to know God and bring before God all of our needs and he understands and he loves us. And he says, when you do that, you will never be condemned for your sins, but they've already passed from death to life. That choice that you've been given to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior is determining and answering the same question that Adam and Eve were faced with. Choose death or choose life. When you choose Jesus Christ and receive him as Savior, you automatically receive an eternal life. Death has no dominion over you anymore. For the believer, the scripture says that the believer in Christ, they go to sleep. They don't die. Why? Because the moment you believed, you actually died with Christ. You've already gone into death. The sting of death has been removed for the believer. This is everything that comes as part of the parcel that God gives you when you believe. So what was God's plan? Romans 5 says, when we were still without strength, in the due time Christ died for the ungodly. Not the godly. If you think that you're righteous and you're trying to do your best, he didn't come for you. 
Christ died for the ungodly. I'm glad I fit into that category. He's come to save the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You don't have to clean up your life. You don't have to do this. You don't have to keep all the rules. You don't have to do anything. Come as you are. It's that simple. Oh, that's too simple. No, not too simple. That was God's plan from the very beginning. He does not make it difficult for a person to be saved from their sins. That is not God's heart. To keep it very simple, sometimes we complicate what we need to do to receive Christ. But the message is very simple. And I think one of the simplest ones is this that we find with a Philippian jailer in Acts 16. The Philippian jailer called for a light. This is when Paul and Silas were imprisoned and he was the jailkeeper. And there was an earthquake, and all the gates and bars of the prison were opened. And he thought that all the prisoners had escaped, and if they had, that was going to be his life done and over with. But he called for a light, and he ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Have you ever asked that question? I mean, really, have you spoken out loud and said to God, what must I do to be saved? Or have you never reached that point in your life where you realized you had a need to be saved? What is it going to take for you to get to the point where you ask the question, what must I do to be saved? And Paul's simple answer was this, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Not only you, but your whole household. God wants families, not just you. God wants your whole family to be saved, and he can work through you. And sometimes, and this is amazing, God reaches the children, and the children see it, and their parents don't see it, and the children come to salvation and their lives are changed and the parents see it and now the parents are wondering what happened and they come to salvation. Amazing that God works through a child. Don't underestimate a child. Don't underestimate what they understand. I was young at the age of four and heard the gospel and knew that I needed to respond and I kept putting it off. I knew at four years old Young ones understand when they hear this. And they know that they have need of a Savior. And yet you say, what have they done in life to even convict them of being sinners? So Paul and Silas then spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Wow. They believed and that same day got baptized. 
and we wait for so long. We come from different backgrounds on that, and maybe sometime I'll talk about it. Because my background is different as far as baptism is concerned, and I had questions about it for many years. Um, we've got a baptismal service next Sunday. Tatiana is excited, and she's going to be baptized. And we're going to get together this week and have a discussion with her and make sure that everything's clear. So what was God's purpose in saving us? Colossians puts it very plainly. You who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now God has reconciled, he's brought you together in the body of Jesus' flesh through death. And his purpose in bringing you to himself is to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. You see, the sacrifice for our sins, Jesus, that Lamb of God, was blameless and without spot, pure and holy before God. Otherwise, he could not have been a sacrifice for sin. And he wants you and I to be like him. But he knew in order for us to become like him, he would have to become like us. Ah, God stooped down out of eternity into time and took on flesh and blood like us in order that we might be able to be like him, blameless and without reproach. So are we just a part of some grand experiment? <clears throat> This is what Paul writes in Philippians 3. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mystery, this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. This wasn't divulged at the very beginning. Except when man sinned, and then the seed of the woman and the seed of Satan would be at enmity with one another. And the promised Messiah came, was to come on the scene. God's purpose in all this, and listen to this, because maybe you haven't noticed it before. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. So before the foundation of the world, his plan was that the angels themselves would come to know God's wisdom through the church. That was his grand plan. Because you see, the angels that sinned, there's no possibility that they can be redeemed. They couldn't know God apart from the instructions God would give them and give them various duties. They only had a one-sided understanding of God. And God's great plan 
was to create man, put man on this scene, knowing full well that we would sin, but that he would send a redeemer and make it possible for us to have those sins forgiven. And the angels are looking down. They're totally amazed. If they sinned, they're banished. But here's man that has sinned. And they're seeing. They're sinners. But all they had to do was to ask Jesus to forgive them. Their sins are forgiven. They came to know God in a way they never did before. And that's what God's grand plan was. Not only to redeem now a people for himself that have been fallen creatures because of sin, but restored back to himself to spend eternity with him, but that the angels in heaven would come to know God like they never did before. They're watching us. The heavenly hosts are watching us day and night to see how we react to the gospel message, to see if the Christian life is really true or not, or are we just fakes and they know. But through us, heaven is moved. This came to my mind this afternoon. I'd like to finish with this. We're all going through the storms of life right now, without exception. Things are becoming more evil as the days go by, as I've said. So many things are so evil that we wouldn't even dare to speak about them. And we as believers ourselves go through storms. I've been through many storms in my lifetime. And what do we do when we go through the storms? I suppose this came to my mind because my oldest daughter's here tonight. We've talked about this recently. She doesn't remember this event. But when I was going through a severe storm when we were living in Scotland, I had come to a point where I believed that God didn't even know what I was going through, nor did he care. I felt all alone. I was at my extremity. I said to God, I can't take another step. Uh, This is it. I can't go any further. And during that time, we sat down at the breakfast table. We lived in a small fishing village in the north of Scotland, overlooking the North Sea. So within blocks, we were at the sea. And if a gale blew through, those waves were just horrendous. I mean, sometimes they would hit the pier and a wave would go right up over the lighthouse. It was that strong. And she turned to me and she said, Dad, you know when you look out over the sea in the storm, 
and all the waves are there? Yeah, I do. We all have, and we are overcome by the storm. And here's what she said. But you know, deep down, it's calm. She doesn't remember telling me that. I needed to hear that that morning. Deep down, it's calm. What's deep down? Well, if you live by the sea, and there's fishermen out there in their boats, and they're trying to get into port in the midst of a storm, it's a job. I mean, you can see the front of the boat coming up at the crest of the wave, and then when it goes down, you don't even see a boat. And they're trying to make their way into harbor. And my wife told me that there were times in the midst of the storm that all the fishermen's wives would go down to the pier waiting, watching their husbands come into port. And sometimes they saw the boat rise on the crest of the wave and it went down. And they never saw it again. That's what it's like living at the sea. But deep down, deep down, what's deep down? If you're in a ship in a storm, the most important piece of equipment you have on board is your anchor. If you don't put the anchor out, you could be dashed upon the rocks. But you see, God has given us an anchor. That anchor is Jesus Christ. He is our anchor. And if you don't have him, you're going to fall apart on the rocks. The storm will overwhelm you. And if you've not received him before, you need to tonight. Because he's your only hope in the storm. And I was reminded of an old hymn. So I've put it into the slide. Some of you might know it. Some of you may not. This is only one verse of about four. Will your anchor hold in the storms of life? When the clouds unfold their wings of strife, when the strong tides lift and the cables strain, Will your anchor drift or will it firm remain? We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. I have no better news for you tonight than to choose Jesus as your anchor. God's grand plan, not only for your salvation and mine, was so that the angels themselves would come to know God. And the words of Jesus himself, he says, there's joy before the angels of God over one repenting sinner. They're watching. They're watching you tonight. They're looking to see if you will respond and give your heart to Christ. And if you do, the angels in heaven are going to be dancing. Are you going to be one of them tonight that causes the angels to rejoice? The answer to the question is a serious one. 
We're choosing between life and death. And none of us know when our physical death may take place. So I urge you to make that decision tonight. And if you do and you want to talk to somebody, I'm here. And others will be here to help. May God bless you.